Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Got another dude! What's better than this? Guys being dudes. Dudes to the right, dudes to the left, stuck in the middle with you. Got another dude! Heisman Trophy, Bronco Nagurski Award, Ultimate Dudes. Got another dude! O-Line U, bunch of dudes. Lot of dudes. Yeah! Another dude in the house! Welcome to the Lot of Dudes podcast, presented by 4th and Dude and Boston College 247. Season 2, Week 12. Dabo backwards is oh bad, which perfectly describes the Eagles offense on Saturday night as they fell to number two Clemson by a score of 27 to seven. The Tigers D was even better than advertised, knocking Tony touchdowns out of the game five minutes in and swarming A.J. Dillon in the backfield all night. The Eagles dropped to seven and three on the season, while Clemson clinches the divisional championship for the fourth consecutive year. On today's episode, we'll recap a hell of a game day week talk dude or pood, and preview the Eagles road trip to Tallahassee next weekend. Matt, first and foremost, what a day Saturday was. Between the showing of game day, the tailgate, city side, uh, and in the stadium, really, the atmosphere, especially at kickoff, it was just absolutely amazing. Probably the proudest I've been to be a BC football fan in some time, and I think we definitely need to start with that. Uh, As we'll get into a minute, the, the game left a weird taste in my mouth, and you know, honestly, an awful lot to be desired, but we still are sitting in the top 25, two winnable games ahead of us. So overall, I think we need, do need to, you know, take a take a step back and be thrilled with where we are today uh, while acknowledging the opportunity missed on Saturday night, as as we'll get into uh, in a second here. Yeah, I'll tell you, Matt, it's been a while since uh, BC was relevant this late in the year, um, really probably dating back to the Matt Ryan days, right? So um, we said it last week, but we were sort of playing with house money in this game. We, we kind of knew that coming in. It was a log shot. Clemson all season long has been on a different planet than you know the rest of the of college football, with the exception of Bama. Um, and like you said, it was it was a great week, um, and it was it was a hell of a day on Saturday. And uh, the boys obviously came up a little bit short, but tell you what, it wasn't for lack of trying. Those guys left their hearts out there, and uh, obviously we you know caught the injury bug early on, which uh, <laughs> sort of uh, we never we never had a shot really after that. But uh, I think it's it, we can all say we're, we're proud of the effort those guys put forth. And uh, it's going to be a fun ride the rest of the season and beyond. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, just to, I guess, get right into the game, it starts with the defense, obviously. We're going to talk about gutsy performances and, you know, performances that make you be proud to be a Boston College football fan and can't look any farther than that unit when, you know, when you're saying that. What these guys did, they took one of the most, if not the most high-powered offense in college football, especially over the last month and a half, uh, and didn't, you know, completely neutralize them, but that's not what you're supposed to do. They did what 99.9% of teams in, in the country cannot do, which is slow them down enough to give us a legitimate chance in the game, you know, which they did all night. They, they did give up plenty of yards. There's no question about that. But only giving up 20 points to this Clemson offense is absolutely incredible. Ben don't break at its finest. Hamp threw in a, a pick for good measure at the end, but they were getting pressure on Lawrence for most of the night. Prevented the huge plays. Again, I think overall, just one of the gutsiest performances, especially when factoring the factoring in the opponent, the pressure, the spotlight, all of it. One of the gutsiest performances I've ever seen from a Boston College unit. Yeah, particularly in the first half, right? You go back to Clemson's past four games, and here were the scores at halftime the past four games. 28 to nothing first Wake, 24 to nothing NC State, 28 to nothing Florida State, 35 to three Louisville. So um, to say 13 at seven, 13 to seven at halftime, uh, it's pretty damn impressive against these guys. Um, the red, the red zone D in particular, early on, holding them to the the two short field goals in the first half, really kept the Eagles in it. But it was pretty impressive. Like you said, they gave up a couple big plays here and there. Were able to lock down w- when you needed to. Zach Allen, you know, goes without saying. We, we said it, you know, pretty much every week at this point. But you know, he was the MVP. He was he was in the backfield all night. Uh, he must have had you know, three or four pass deflections, including that awesome play where he uh, he batted the ball da- back down to Lawrence, who caught it. And then he got like the 20-yard sack. You talked about Hamp. 
and Clemson's receivers, you know, did a pretty good job getting separation. But I thought our, our scheme schematically, our, our scheme schematically, uh, which is the same word twice there, Matt. Um, <laughs> you know, it was just uh, it was it was it was perfectly planned by uh, by Jim Reed and, and Campanelli. You know, and it helps when obviously you're getting the push off the line, which I thought Allen and Ray both did a great job. Carafa had another outstanding game. Um, shortly after, you know, going viral for looking like a school rock guy, which I'm sure all of you guys have seen. I think the entire world has seen that at this point, Matt. But to, to, to hold the Tigers 5 of 15 on third down, pr- pretty impressive against, uh, and really we're, we're the only ones in the country outside of Clemson, or uh, sorry, outside of Syracuse, who was playing against, uh, you know, the third string quarterback, right, who have really held Clemson to that type of offensive limitation. So can't say enough good things about the defense that were on the field. You know, we, we punted 12 times in this game, right? The offense was, or the defense was on the field, you know, every three minutes. And uh, these guys just left it all out there and, and what a performance defensively. If they keep that going the rest of the year, there's absolutely no reason. There's no doubt in my mind we'll go 10 and three if we keep having defensive showings like that. Yeah, they, they did. They did everything we could have possibly asked for. And then some, honestly, you, you know, 20 points to this offense is absolutely unfathomable in the, in the landscape of college football, really, that we've seen so far. And you know, it's it's been really fun to watch over the course of the year because I think coming into the season they were a unit as as whole as a whole that we felt very confident in. I'd say more so than the offense, uh, but they had a slow start. You know, beyond the first two cupcake games, they obviously looked terrible at Purdue uh, and had some you know tough times in between. But really, over the last three or four weeks, uh, I'd say it started. Really, in the second half of NC State, it's just been a different unit. I don't know what has happened. And again, if it's a, a, a schematic change like you so eloquently said <laughs> uh, or whatever it might be. But what we're watching is is just a lot of fun. It does feel a lot like the Don Brown defense with the pressure that we're getting up front. So really a treat. And again, they did all we could ask for. They kept us in the game. And I think that's why I, I do have such a sour taste in, in you know how it all went down. Because I think that we said coming in, it was house money and – you know, at, at no point was this a game where, okay, if we lose, you know, it's it's season over, we're disappointed, whatever. But I think doing the unthinkable, really, and shutting down Clemson's offense to an extent, uh, but just not really able to be able to put up a fight on the offensive side of it, feels like a missed opportunity, uh, and, and especially know, on national TV. And I know you're saying that and you're not, you know, trying to do a, be a conspiracy theorist or anything like that. But the people saying, you know, what a wasted opportunity by Coach Adazio with the defense playing as, as well as they did. I wish we had played like that against NC State, uh, which I just completely disagree with. But we, we showed the entire country on Saturday night that our defense, our defense looked like they belonged out there with, with Clemson, yeah. which is which is pretty high praise. Yeah, and I, don't, I certainly don't think there's any, you know, I, I, I don't really put this on Adazio much at all. And, and I guess let's just talk right about the offense. It, it, the story is the injury, and, and it's kind of that cut and dry for me. First of all, if we just want to talk about injuries in a, in a greater scheme, obviously A.J. Dillon is nowhere near 100%. I think we talked about it last episode, but even having him at, you know, 75% or just out on the field is, you know, a game changer in and of itself because he is that good and defenses still need to pay attention to him. But that only works when we have – you know, without throwing EJ Perry under the bus, when we have a capable quarterback under center to keep things balanced, a 75% AJ Dillon going up against 10 man fronts. I mean, that's just never going to work. It doesn't matter who he's playing. So that was the number one story there. And, you know, the game changed completely when AB went down. It, it really is that simple. It sucked the air out of the stadium, which was so incredibly alive. Uh, probably honestly, one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen at, at, at alumni stadium. And, you know, it just felt like we had no chance and again, not a knock on Perry, and I we tweeted it during the game, but you know, all of these message board heroes who have been calling for Perry all year. I mean, look, this is what you guys get. And again, it's not his fault. You can't get thrown into the best defense in the country uh, on national TV and expect to light him up. You know, I think that that's not fair for us to expect uh, yeah, Matt, either. Should, so we should talk about it's not tweet. really on him, but we just didn't have a chance once he came in the game. We should talk about your tweet. I'm going to say your tweet because. Uh I don't disagree with it, or I don't agree with it at all. So basically, Matt, Matt sent a tweet from our shared account, which uh, you know, so we both stand by it. Hey, you, yeah, you you have you have some ones in there that I could disagree with in the past <laughs> if we want to get into that game. But yeah, keep going. So here. so basically, you said you know everyone that was was saying you know bench AB put EJ in there, right? Uh, you guys are all idiots. Dropped a couple couple f bombs, which is great, Matt. It's, it's a family show. I'm glad you did that. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know what, what you were seeing. I didn't see a quarterback out there that was a heck of a lot different from the A.B. that we typically see. Um, when you factor in, he's a sophomore taking his first real snaps. He's playing against the best defense in the country um, with the entire nation watching him. Frankly, I, I thought he had a couple plays that almost 
uh, had you know really sparked this offense. There was a couple in particular. You know, he had that that run on third down where he reached for the chains and um, you know just fighting through tackles. There was another one where he he stood in the pocket for you know about five seconds, saw this giant man coming towards him, uh, but stood in the pocket, knew he was going to get hit, and you know stayed in there, threw the ball, waited for his guys to get open, threw it, and then took an enormous hit. I'll tell you, he, he's a gamer, and I don't think he's you know certainly not the solution, right, long term at quarterback. But I don't know that he's all that much different from what we've seen out of AB for most of the year. You know, we've seen flashes from AB like versus Wake, and I guess. He played pretty well against what Vatek and, and Miami played pretty well too, right? But overall, I mean, we need AB to be kind of a game manager, and I think EJ can can provide that. They were going to be one dimensional either way. You know, you, you're going to have Clemson's front front seven clogging the running lanes, um, and one of AB's issues that that we've had in, in the losses, specifically Purdue um, and NC State as well, was you know when they sell out for the run and he can't make them pay. So to say that everything changed based on that one hit. Well, I agree. It was, you know, certainly not ideal. I don't know that there was that big of a drop off from the AB that we usually see. Yeah, I mean, we're I, again. I, I'm certainly not disagreeing with you that EJ Perry was put a into an impossible position and B, you know, gave it his all and 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 it was a gutsy performance to go against what you know honestly essentially amounts to an NFL defense. Uh, and, and he did make a couple plays and and you know he he did all I think he could have done. But having said that, I don't think there was any point. And correct me if you feel differently, but Really, once he came in and once we saw him through a couple possessions, at no point did I feel that he could lead a uh, two-touchdown comeback. It really is that cut and dry for me. Well, and I Anthony Brown that has too. shown that he can do that. There were times- he has shown that he can hit explosive plays, and, and EJ Perry just can't do that. And maybe he is a game manager, and his play is just going to be you know these 10-yard dink and dunks, but that's not going to get it done against Clemson, number one. And then number two, I think Clemson realized that, and, and that completely changed their defense to just say, okay, we're going to throw 10 guys, you know, 12 guys at the box pretty much every play uh, and, and shut everything down on that side of things. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. but and, and we do, you know, we probably lose, what, half the playbook when, when Perry goes in there instead of Brown just because he's, exactly. not, he's and, not getting and, the reps and, in practice. Right. And on that too, all the trick plays, right? We didn't see, I think we saw like one trick play, which is a, the Adazio staple against these better teams. And when AB is the only one who's been, you know, preparing for those and is comfortable with those, that's a huge loss right there in and of itself. Yeah. And so the other thing too, and I, I don't mean to make this the, the EJ Perry show because I didn't, I didn't really think that was going to be my take coming into the game. And you're, yeah, you're a little biased too, by the way, same hometown. No, not even. I mean, I, I, I was one of the first ones to say, you know, against the people that were saying we need a quarterback change saying, you know, a, a kid from Northeastern Mass is not the solution. Trust me. I, I, you know, I played in that league, soccer, but whatever, same thing. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, to his credit, he, he looked like a guy that that has potential. He, he showed some flashes and, and he left it all out there. And the other thing, too, is, you know, while, while Clemson's front four is what gets a ton of uh, hype, they have a really good secondary, too. And it wasn't like our oh, guys. They're phenomenal all the way it around. It wasn't the like ball. our There's guys no were getting that. great separation on the from a wide receiver standpoint. He didn't have open guys to throw to. Um, they were getting in the backfield pretty quickly. I didn't think the line played that bad considering who they were up against. But I, I think the game plan was sort of to make these manageable throws and get the ball out of his hands quickly. A lot of people seemed to have issues with that. They wanted us to seem, seemingly throw it deep every play. Um, and we had a couple of those, right, where he, he dropped in a dime to uh, Kobe White. That was awesome. But that's not going to work. And, you, and you're more likely to, to be turnover prone when, when you do that. I didn't have that that much of an issue with the game plan, frankly. I, I think you kind of had to do that at that point, no matter who was in at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. It, it's it's a different, I think, game plan regardless. But yes, at the end of the day, this is a virtually impossible task to go up against this uh, Clemson defense. Again, where the frustration, I think, sets in is the de- you know our defense did their job going against this amazing Clemson offense. So it kind of sucks when you don't get it from the other side of it. But uh, I do want to talk about the hit from Wilkins that knocked AB out. I don't know if you, if you were going to mention this in one of the segments. So no, I'm sick, of, so, I'm sick of it, Matt. I'm sick of everyone talking about it, frankly. But go go ahead. I mean, it's so we're going to talk about it. So apologies. But look, this was a complete Bush League hit. I, I really do see it as a dirty hit. He had a... a, a Plenty of chances within that tackle to not throw his 300 and whatever pound body Matt, on top of AB. It's, it's, that was a hit with the intent to injure plain and simple. It's not a penalty and it football. should not have been a penalty. It's not a penalty within the college football rules, but that was a dirty hit 
plain and simple. It was a big hit, and that happens in football. And he it's he not a big hit when you when you after the guy has thrown it and you and you're tackling him, you make a point to roll your entire body on top of him. I agree. There, so, but that was after, and that that's was, and that's the hit that the NFL has outlawed. You know, really this year, but the that's the extremely aggressive end of the spectrum that they've outlawed. Not the you know Clay Matthews. What am I supposed to do here? All right. So so there's a line out there, and and we're we're probably saying the same thing just differently, right? It was clear. It was a legal hit, right? That's a football hit that's yes. legal in college football. In college football, yes. Was he trying to hit him as hard as he could? Yeah. And did he land on him? Yeah, but that's that's kind of football, Matt. So I, I, you can't really call it dirty. I mean, it's, it's a legal hit. It sucks that he got hurt, right? I think I think hitting with he the intent to, to injure to is a dirty hit. Yeah, I know. But everyone's saying, you know, it was it was Wilkins was trying to do that. He, he wanted he was aiming for his spleen. I uh, saw one commenter said, which is if you, if you can do that, uh, you know, if, if he's that good of an athlete, then, then kudos to him. But uh, I don't think he was aiming for, for uh, his spleen, certainly. And I, I don't know. I, I really it's football. That stuff that stuff happens. And uh, okay. I'm sure they're going to look at it. And I'm sure it'll be an, a rule change. and We'll continue getting to where football is going to stop becoming football in the next 10 years. But um, I don't I don't get on the train that everyone else is on saying that was a dirty hit. I don't I don't even like Wilkins and I want to call it a dirty hit. But I didn't think it was that bad. This is to me no different than a guy, you know, pretty much diving at a running back's knees, you know, going helmet on the on the ACL. Where do you want uh, him to hit le- him? That's how you tackle. That's but he he didn't not need to make that tackle. He had thrown the ball away. You can shove him down. He didn't need to basically push him down and then in a separate motion, you know, b- belly flop on top of him. There was absolutely five times within the course of full speed, whatever you want to say, that he could have avoided the high contact and that hit. Again, no one's saying you can't hit AB a, or while he's throwing it, whatever. I mean, it, there was a lot of football in that play. But when he decided to basically co- completely jump off both feet and land on it with his full body weight intentionally. AB was kind of in the act of jumping too, though, which which also affected it, right? I think to me, I think, again, uh, on the dirtiness scale, this to me has no difference than, than going low on a guy. Again, completely legal within the rules, but... I see it more as like a Clay Matthews type thing that they threw the flag for on, on the consecutive weeks on Clay Matthews, which were, you know, he was... He, he, but those were those were more bang-bang, and he didn't really have an opportunity to avoid the hit. This was, he had multiple opportunities to not put his entire body weight on the quarterback, and he did it anyway. So, and, and if you look back at Wilkins, by the way, and you touched on it, I mean, the guy's a dirty player. He's the guy who was grabbing everyone's balls in the championship last year or right. whatever it was. The guy's consistently been a dirty player, but he kind of, you know, hides it because he has this wacky personality of, oh, I'm going to play quarterback, and he's really good, which, you know, I guess fools everyone else. But yeah, I, I'm a little heated by this, and it, you know, completely changed the, completely changed the game, obviously, potentially could change our year, though it doesn't sound like it, which is good news. But yeah, just pretty terrible all the way around. Yeah. Uh, I do want to just go back to the defense real quick because I looked up some X's and O talk, Matt, and I just want to sneak it in here. So we, we talked about kind of, uh, you know, the, the front seven for BC doing a great job, right? I think one thing that they did, and I'm going to call it, I'm, I'm going to officially say Anthony Campanelli is the guy back there that's, that's you know, kind of calling out the adjustments and, th- and that type of stuff. But a big, a big part of the Clemson's game plan, and we said this last episode in the preview, uh, was the RPO, the run pass option. And it seemed like Reed and Campanelli really made it a point to make Lawrence run their quarterback, you know, hold on to the ball and try to, you know, burn him with, with, their, with his feet rather than giving it to the running back. Uh, Etienne only had 11 carries, right? So I think that was a big part of, of stopping the run was just not giving Etienne a, 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 that name. It's so hard to say, man. It's really, yeah, it's impossible. Uh, but, but they didn't let, and it's been kind of, you know, what, at least early on, or probably the, the first half of the season, right? These guys couldn't stop the run. So I think they made a point to say, all right, if Lawrence, you know, we're going to make Lawrence keep the ball, right, and, and try to beat him, beat us with his feet, rather than having, you know, this, this, you know, speedy, you know, running back try to beat us, right? It did burn us on that touchdown. I think it was the the second or third touchdown of the uh, of the game, right? But outside of that, I mean, they really kept the running game uh, in check for most of the game. So uh, I really like the, the trend that that's, you know, if we can stop the run against anyone, then uh, you know, I, I trust our secondary to be able to. Kind of clean yeah, up our, run, our run defense has been, you know, was uh, was the Achilles heel of this defense if there was one, you know, early on in the year. I'm completely with you. Yeah, that has so, turned, so, a, turned a corner so 100%. The, yeah, uh, silver lining of the game in my mind is just kind of knowing the defense is back to that elite, elite level that we thought they would be from uh, from the jump. And Zach Allen again. Man, I just can't say enough good things about that guy. He is such an animal. Yeah, he's, he's basically solidified himself in the top. Uh, in the first round for sure and, you know, continues to climb up that draft board. Yeah, I mean, again, like you said, there's so much good to take away from this game from what we saw in the defense and coming into it we did say it was house money and the day was awesome and we and that's not going to take away from anything for me though it is just leaving a bad taste in my mouth because of 
the opportunity we had that I think was unjustly uh, taken away from us. And you no, know, look, it's football injuries happen, whatever. But it's one of those games where I would just love to have had a shot at these guys when we were actually at our best. Uh, and we weren't without a healthy AB or, or AJ. So uh, feels like a missed opportunity. Again, it's, it's football. There's nothing really we can do about it. And look, if we look ahead, we're still ranked in the top 25, at least in the two polls and the CFP will come out uh, tomorrow night. We're recording on Monday here, but you know, you have to imagine we're going to be right in the 22 range there as well. Yeah, uh, and, and historically, these guys have kind of rewarded playing the good teams close. If you look mm-hmm. across the yeah, board, exactly. Um, the teams that have lost to Bama, um, right. barely no one can hang down, with Clemson right? or, or Bama, it, right? Exactly, right. So I, I wouldn't expect us to drop down that that much, right? So I think I think 22, 23 range yep. is probably where we'll end up. All right, with that, you guys have probably noticed we haven't talked about the the seven points that we scored. And Matt actually already claimed this guy is due to the week. So you, you can take it, Matt. But uh, Mikey Walker, what a return. That kid is unbelievable, huh? Is that your due to the week? Yeah, so we'll just segue right into due to the week here and get the segments underway. So Mike Walker, like you said, absolutely game-changing play. I'll, I'll say that was arguably the most exciting moment in alumni in at least a decade, uh, though I think Tyler Murphy might have something to say about that. But, you know, it, that, that's Matt, a can spark I, can that I cut we... in? Can I cut in? Yeah, please. I'm going to go with the Tyler Murphy one. Only because, and this is kind I of. I am too. I am too, by the way. But yeah, I'm saying it's in the running. Well, so mine's more more of a pood, a personal pood, literally. Well, not actually, but um, <laughs> I was in the bathroom. I don't know if you if you noticed that, but I missed the Mikey Walker uh, punt return TD because um, Alumni Stadium is just not built to handle sold out crowds, apparently. And I was waiting in the bathroom line for a good 15 minutes, and uh, you you never know when uh, when Mikey's going to break one. And uh, I timed I timed that uh, that bathroom break rock. So I'm gonna go with the Tyler Murphy one, but I did see it on television afterwards. So that's great. Yeah, I miss, I I, I missed the Sherm Alston, uh, the little guy touchdown against USC in the bathroom line as well. So definitely feel your pain on that. And yeah, there's definitely a trend. Alumni has a hard time at night games and people have been drinking all day and need to go to the bathroom frequently. Uh, but maybe more on that in a little bit. I don't know if, if you're gonna mention that in your pood, but um, yeah, Mike Walker again, absolutely incredible return. He's been electric all season. Uh, and it, is this his first return touchdown of the year get this matt we haven't had a, a punt return touchdown since 2012 isn't that a wow. wild stat yeah I, I couldn't believe it either that's shot i mean yeah i mean he's led the country in return yards pretty much you think the of, last two years can you think of the last time in 2012 who, who, who was the guy that did uh, it uh was that what about amadon or swiger or something oh, like that you're close I mean, I, you give it to me. His, uh, I'll give you his first name, Spiffy. <laughs> I don't know if I was that close with no, Swagger or really. to Spiffy Evans, but I'll take it. No, you said it. Mikey Walker, second straight year that he leads the nation in return yards uh, when you combine kickoffs and putts. And uh, outside of the fumbling issues, he's had a, a pretty near-perfect season. Um, and I keep right. thinking, I actually Googled it earlier today, is he going to get drafted? He almost should, right? He's so fast. I can't see him he's like, electric, yeah. taking a big hit in the NFL because he's just so little, but... Um, he, he will be on a practice squad, you know, he'll, he'll go on drafted and, and, you know, he'll make a team somewhere. I bet, um, uh, probably the Patriots, right? So <laughs> ever, everyone goes to Patriots. Uh, but again, on the due to the week note, Mikey Walker, but equally as important, I need to give a shout out to Mr. Walker, uh, Mikey Walker's dad. So we ran into him, uh, as just about, we were going to leave Cleveland circle and head into the tailgate. Didn't know it was his dad. Just kind of started striking up a conversation with him. Uh, I believe we were waiting for Pinos at the time. If I am putting everything together properly, that sounds right. Um, yeah, it sounds all right. Anyways, you know, he, he brings up, says, Oh, you know, my son's number three. And, uh, he's like, Oh, and you, you know, said, whatever. Oh, which, which one? Cause there's, there's 14 number threes on the team. <laughs> well, again, my mind obviously went to Mikey Walker first. So I, you know, said that's phenomenal. Whatever started talking, uh, gave him the dude alert koozie you know he, he talks about you know whenever adazio goes to naples he gives him all the uh you know best italian spots whatever talked to him for five minutes had a great conversation anyways as he's walking out he buys a whole round of drinks for uh, our entire group which was not an insig- insignificant amount of people so absolute mvp of the day pretty much for me was that move uh we've you know we, we've been uh, just by you know being on road trips or whatever it is we run into a few parents of players this year and all of our interactions have just been absolutely incredible so we talk all the time about these high character guys that you know bc recruits and based on everything we've seen it's it's not just the players it's their entire family so mike walker's dad and mike walker a heck of a dude of the week combo for me and matt i i do want to make a note here you know i don't know how much we believe in karma on this show or whatever it is but i think it's worth pointing out players are one for one on making a game-changing play touchdown whatever it is after their parents bought us drinks uh before the tailgate so just something to think about uh if there's any other eagle parents out there again not drawing any causation correlation but 
just something to keep in mind. And if, if you got if you're the parent out there that wants that streak to end, then you know that's kind of that's kind of on you. So yep, exactly. Good one, Matt. Hey, can I co-sign that one? Absolutely. That, that was just an absolute treat meeting Mr. Walker and Pinos, one of the one of the best guys I've ever met in my whole life. And then uh, just making it rain drink wise was uh, was was great as well. I'll also give a shout out here to Desmond Howard for for picking the Eagles against all odds. It was sort of the the most foregone conclusion in the world that you know we weren't going to get any love from the college game day crew. Um, and then out of nowhere, right? We had already left game day at that point. We went to City Side. We had to uh, you know we wanted to get to City Side early. We beat the rush. Yep. Yeah. So we, we left before the uh, you know the guest picker got there, and they started going through the predictions. Um, but out of nowhere, we're you know we're, we're watching at the bar. And Desmond Howard tells the country, you know, this BC team, I, I know I know what it's like to be a, uh, you know, a warm weather guy playing in cold weather. And uh, Clemson's going to come out rusty and BC is going to shock the world. And uh, I don't know, man, the, the city side kind of went nuts. And you and I had uh, believed all along that we you know, had what it took to pull off the upset. But it was at that time when I was like, all right, someone who actually knows football. Uh, actually knows, you know, thinks that we're, yeah, gonna, we're, we're a little biased. So it's right. nice to hear. He it thinks we source. can actually pull this thing off. So uh, I think that was when people started to believe Chris O'Donnell too picked us though, um, which was great. Um, so overall, it was pr- pretty good. Would have been great to get Corso as well, but uh, you know, we'll take it. Yeah, no, I I, I completely agree. Uh, I'll I'll keep it moving then onto my was that was that your due to the week, Desmond Howard? Yeah, yeah, because you okay. stole the Walker family from me. I did. <laughs> Uh, I'll keep it rolling to my dude here. So Boston College fans in general, uh, I think I just need to give the shout out to the entire fan base. So the turnout in game day in bad weather uh, was absolutely tremendous. It was mobbed from pretty much start to finish. Everyone in seats at kickoff. It helped the kickoff was at 8.15. But even when we got in a little before 8, it was absolutely packed. Team ran out in the field. The stadium was going insane. I've never seen it like that. I, I'm, you know, getting chills just thinking about it right now. It was loud all night. They never left, even when we were down late. It was just amazing from start to finish, really from, you know, 8 a.m. to midnight. And it, to me, it proves something that I think we've known forever, but that we can be a big time football school. Uh, we just need this, a, a team like this to rally around. And, you know, also we need the right guys at the helm to make it happen. So shout out to Martin. You know, I think the four hour tailgating and, uh, I think he, he definitely led a big, you know, PR push to make sure we were all getting in seats by the kickoff, but just an amazing day on campus all the way around and, and watch game day back when I got home yesterday. But the intro there gave me chills with the Reese Davis talking about, you know, Boston and the ACC revolution, everything like that. Just about a, a phenomenal performance. And I think it did wonders to get us back on the map after we've previously been a laughing stock in the college football world. Yeah, agreed. It was it was awesome. We were there in 09, right? We talked about that a little bit last episode. But, you know, showing up there uh, Saturday morning, it was so packed. It was it was incredible. I mean, and everyone, you know, everyone was saying kind of all week, you know, what's game day doing going to BC? It's it's a professional sports town, all that. Right. And uh, so it was great that the students somewhat shut up that narrative for, for a little bit there. And just I'd say completely TV, shut up that narrative there. I, I think during the game and, and during game day, there was nothing we could have done better there. Yeah, agreed. And, and watching on, on the on, on TV, too, it looked completely packed, you know, which it was, obviously. But, you know, having the having the buildings in the background was really cool. Um, so agree with you there. Uh, Matt, I'm going to take a turn to negative town here. Um, I'm going to go pood first, all right? So my yep. pood is, and I don't really know what happened here. We we left with a couple minutes to go, right? But I saw the, I watched the condensed version, whatever it is, right? And um, Dabo was was kind of run, trying to run up the score in, in the last yes. couple minutes. Did you see that? Yep. Yeah, yep. it's, it's kind of weird. And we all, you know, everyone in the country loves Dabo and he's this, he says all the right things and he's involved with every charity in the world. And, you know, just it does everything right. Even after the game, he was saying, you know, hope, hope Anthony Brown's OK and, you know, thoughts and prayers with him, whatever. But he just does weird things like he was running up the score, trying to run up the score against us. He was having Trevor Lawrence still airing it out with like 10 seconds to go. I, I, I guess it's, you know, and I, I don't I'm not a guy that ever says, you know, I don't have an issue with blowouts, right? It's just kind of a weird move. No one else does that, right? When you've won the game, it's a very weird move. 20, yeah, it's a very weird move. You don't do that, especially against you know a team like us that we're, we're a ranked opponent, you know. And maybe that's what they're trying to do. They they, they want to say, you know, say they drop a game, right? Say they lose to Duke next week, they can say, hey, we beat Boston College by what thirty two instead of twenty, whatever, right. whatever it was, or whatever the math is, twenty seven. It's way off. Um, and that's why they beat, you know, Wake Forest by 60 too. So Dabo just kind of, uh, he doesn't have an issue, you know, trying to, trying to, you know, make a scene here. I guess you have to do that again with the, with the college football playoff and, and no one's safe, right. In college football. But I don't, and, and here's the other thing too, Matt. Uh, did you know that they have this thing with orange pants where they only wear orange yeah, pants, clinch pants when they're 
anticipate that they're going to be celebrating a championship mm-hmm. that night. And they wore the orange pants. So just very undabo-like things, but it's it's sort of becoming a, a characteristic of Dabo, which is weird. On the outside, he's this great guy, but he has this weird, uh, you know, sore winner mentality or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on yours for my pood. It's it's very much on the same plane, but uh, the Clemson fans in general. So the, I think they always have this reputation of being this lovable, nice, the friendliest fan base in the ACC. All of our friends who have ever been down to a game down there have nothing but phenomenal things to say about their interactions. And I think we've really felt the same uh, historically in their trips to Boston. But I heard multiple bad interactions, you know, over the course of Saturday and, and really even just being around them at City Side in the stadium. These guys seem much more, I guess I'd say, arrogant, uh, maybe obnoxious, hostile, et cetera, uh, than normal. I'll, I'll, you know, caveat it with it was a long day, a night game. So I think everyone was, you know, probably a little liquored up and more aggressive, energetic than normal. But it's almost like now that they win and they're a really good program and Clemsoning is no longer a thing, uh, the success has gone to their head and they're kind of dicks. Or maybe maybe what it is, Matt, is we're, we're a legitimate opponent now where we haven't been in the past. That's fair. Yeah. And it's a serious yeah. game and that's what rivals do. Maybe. Yeah. And we heard that uh, from some of the folks down in Raleigh. They were saying, yeah, you know, they're not actually nice. It's just more like the bless your heart Southern. They're taking pity on you. But really, that's their way to kind of be assholes. Um, so you're, you absolutely could be right. And it could be more that we're a legitimate opponent. But yeah, in general, just a really sour taste of, of Clemson this week between their fans, between Dabo, like you said, between the Wilkins hit. It's weird to say because they were always a team that I think I, you know, enjoyed pulling for yeah, far in the away. college they're football like playoff. Our favorite opponent, right? That mean they always right. have been. Right. And, and again, in the college football playoff, they were always the one to carry the ACC mantle. Again, Dabo is always likable, whatever. Something is, has really changed for me in the last, you know, three days. But clearly there's been a paradigm shift for a while here. And I am fully out on Clemson the rest of the way. Wow. Uh, I'll be rooting hard for them. They're rooting hard against them, uh, despite it hurting the ACC in what? general if, if them falling out. Yeah. No, no I'm, I'm come fully on. done with them. I'm fully done with them. Wow. Because the Wilkins I, I really, I really want to serve it to their fans. I don't want them to have happiness. I'll say, oh, you know what I'll say? Fine. I want them to go to the college football playoff because if they fall out of that, it will hurt BC's bowl hierarchy. But I want them to get absolutely embarrassed by anybody as long as it's not Notre Dame. Wow. All right. That, yeah. That yep. seems Strong like, feelings. Yeah, that seems like a stretch to me, Matt. But uh, I'll tell you what. I guess Matt, I'm a passionate guy. I, I, you know, if, if, if there's one thing about me, I'm a passionate guy when it comes yeah, to hating fan bases. I guess so. And what does them winning the national championship really do for us anyway? Zero. Not that much, right? I'm with Zero. You. All right, Matt, let's talk in a sport where we're actually going to win a championship this year. How's that? Since we are officially mathematically eliminated football-wise. BC basketball is officially 2-0 on the year. That's my dude, Matt. I love it. How, we're back. See how positive I'm being? <laughs> Surprising after the first two yeah, stars. Matt, here, take here's it. the bad news. <laughs> so obviously they, they played Milwaukee, which I don't know who was in charge of the scheduling, but it's still way too soon to, to be playing UW-Milwaukee. Um, I'm sure most of our listeners were, uh, were around for the was it 05, maybe 06. Uh, I don't know. All those years are uh, kind of all the same. But we were a, a four seed, I believe. It was the Craig Smith team. We got upset by them in the first round of the tourney. Uh, yes, and, Sports and, Illustrated. Sports Illustrated picked us to win it all that year, I believe. Uh, yeah, that that rings a bell. So, uh, and and Craig Smith was on the cover, and that's what you get. And uh, they had this guy named Ed McCants. I think that's his name, but it could it might not be? I don't know. Um, and also Bruce Pearl coaching. So how about that? But anyway, we're getting off topic here. Um, so they nearly lost that game against Milwaukee, and then they lost. To, they almost lost to St. Francis as well. The same St. Francis of Brooklyn who get this, Matt, our 2015 team, which you'll remember went winless in the ACC. They beat St. Francis of Brooklyn by 26, and our team, be, our team beat them by five. So if we're yeah, doing transitive property, not that's not great. My official take on the year is we need, we need more than, than Kai Bowman. He's the only one that showed up thus far. We had zero bench points against St. Francis. I disagree. Ta- tabs, tabs has shown tabs up. Tabs has been fine. That's right. Uh, but you need a big man, and it's Steph- it's Stephon Mitchell can't be your best big man. You need an offensive scoring threat. Um, especially when you get into conference play. But zero bench points. Your boy, Jairus Hamilton, it's still way too early to, to sound the alarms. Yeah, but jury's out on him, right? He's right. done absolutely nothing through two games. Uh, we're not, And he'll be fine. He's a, Look, he's a freshman. He's going to be absolutely yeah, man, fine. I'm, I have no concern I, That about doesn't him. work anymore because everyone's a freshman in, in the NCAA, right? If he's not showing up, showing up against St. Francis, is he going to show up against UNC and Duke? I don't know. But we're not guarding threes well. They can't hit threes, and uh, they got to wake up. So that's my dude. We're 2-0, and but by the uh, the skin of our tooth our teeth there Matt yeah you want to talk about Sunday scaries how about being on the Amtrak back to New York after the 
loss we had Saturday night and refreshing, uh, you know, ESPN GameCast every 10 seconds and seeing us basically go one point up, one point down, one point up, one point down with St. Francis of Brooklyn. So thank God for my own mental state that we somehow found a way to pull that out and hopefully good things to come the rest of the way. Yeah, that is uh, my literal nightmare there, Matt. Um, all right. Next segment, we have Eagles in the Wild. So, Matt, you actually called, uh, if we go back to last week's Eagles in the Wild, you predicted Chris O'Donnell. And Credit to me. Good. So, huge call there. And, and Chris O'Donnell seems like a great guy. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure people like NCIS or whatever show he's on. I don't think he was their first choice, Matt. But, I, I, I don't know. He picked BC. He was great. I did see a funny tweet. Someone asked, uh, was Brendan Fraser not available? Which is funny, commenting on Chris, Chris O'Donnell has been relevant since... Uh, the you know the mid 90s or whatever but hey great guy um and good call there yeah good call by me and 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 by the way worth noting a couple things here so one i think we reported this last week on twitter but if not uh mookie Betts was basically all the way locked in to be the guest picker and then he had uh a baby on or his girlfriend had a baby on i think thursday of last week so congrats to him he's obviously had a great year with being the best player in the history of the world and now having a baby. So that takes the sting out of it a little bit. And then Chris O'Donnell apparently basically asked ESPN to be on it. But credit to him. He had a phenomenal tailgate look. And it was like the most BC look of all time. But basically the maroon sweater over the button down with the Patagonia vest and the forward BC hat. That's basically how I'm going to dress uh, on every Saturday once I hit 30 yeah, He looks like the, the, rest the of typical my life. BC dad. Yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so credit where it's due there. All right. That's not my Eagles in the Wild. My Eagles in the Wild. Tell you what, Matt. The guys at Pinos, I know they're not, you know, BC alum. At least I don't think they are. But that staff has not changed in, in 20 years. It was great getting back to, to Pinos. Um, the pizza is absolutely electric, as always. It's the best pizza in the history of the United States and beyond. Although someone, we did bring in an outside source, and, and he tried Pinos. I think it was too hot. I don't know what the issue was, but he didn't love it. But anyway, it doesn't matter. The pizza was awesome. The only qualm, I guess, was that they no one told them it was game day. And uh, so they ran out of slices around. Uh, yeah, I got a couple qualms, but yeah, you, you got more than one. So they, so they yeah. had zero slices. We, we walked in there with a crew of like twenty people around three thirty, you know, just to grab some slices before we hit Brighton. And uh, they had nothing. They had some chicken bacon ranch, which is not, you know, my necessarily my favorite pizza. Um, so that was not great. But otherwise, they're just they're as good as it gets at Pinos. So honorary Eagles in the wild. I know it's a stretch here, but that's what I'm going with. This yeah, it's not bad. All right. Well, just really quickly, my qualms. So, uh, so there was one slice of pepper. I was the first to order. They had one slice of pepperoni left. Uh, I ordered it. I'm a cheese guy normally, but it was way greasier than I remember. So I was down on that. And then I also got a slice of their Sicilian just to kind of get the other side okay, of things. You don't want to get Sicilian. That's not what Look, you well, do. I didn't have a choice because they were out of everything. It was maybe, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it was maybe the worst pizza pizza I've ever had in my entire life. Don't ever get the Sicilian at Joe's, uh, Pino's, get their cheese and get their pep. Uh, and that's it. But again, I'm with you. Great guys. Just horrendous. They're not from Sicily, I guess. They're from the other part of Italy. Well, yeah, but it, no one likes Sicilian pizza. I mean, you, you were kind of, you made that bad by ordering that. I, yeah, some Sicilian I pizza is good, you and but I not said, at Pino's. Right, I'm not going to do the Sicilian chicken bacon ranch. Let's fire up a whole pie of cheese. That's what you should have done. Anyways, my Eagles in the wild. Uh, I know I've been harping on this, the BC fans uh, for you know most of the episode, but need to give a, a major kudos to uh, everyone on the train up from NYC on Friday night. This was such a it was such a cool and unique moment. Uh, but pretty much in Penn Station at the five thirty train on Friday, which is loaded with maroon and gold, loaded with BC gear, uh, and then on the train it was pretty much every other. Uh, you know, set of seats was a group of like eight BC fans, all, you know, crushing Bud Lights for the four hours, big time party train atmosphere. Everyone was loud going up and back to the cafe cart. You were running into old acquaintances or, or people from class or whatever it is. So it was a really cool moment. And again, it, it proves to me the thing that I've continued to harp on this episode. But, you know, this, this is a real fan base and this can be a real foot, football school. Uh, we just, everyone else besides, I guess, the people like us, but the majority just need something to rally around and, and a program like this and an AD like we have and a coach like we have and the players like we have uh, is really just a perfect excuse to get everyone fully on board. So you were on, a, on an Amtrak on Friday night? I don't think you had made mad. that clear on Twitter at any point. Uh, on Friday night that you were on a train and that there were beers being served. So Matt, um, it was a party train. Break, I, didn't have, I didn't have a choice. Breaking news there, Matt. I didn't have a choice. Um, I almost changed the password on you on, on Friday night, frankly, Matt. Um, okay. But anyway, again, if we want if we want to do this game of attrition and go back to use some of your former fourth and dude tweets here, be my guest. 
Well, that's my other. Actually, it brings up a good point. How does the the School of Rock tweet go viral, but not the Trevor Lawrence Disturbia <laughs> one? That's another poo this we week. We don't for Twitter me. doesn't make any sense. There's there's no rational people pulling the strings at, at the Twitter universe. Disturbia is like a, a heck of a movie. I mean, if you guys haven't seen Disturbia, stop what you're doing right now and, and, and go see it. Shia LaBeouf uh, at his best on house arrest, and you know there's a murder across the street, the whole nine. So. Um, all right. Anyway, Matt, let's get into Duteous Corpus. And court is officially in session. You you start here. I didn't bring any games into the courtroom this week. I want to be just a member of the jury. I want you to present me cases. Matt, and what I'll, if I'll I had you my thoughts. done the same thing? Then we just we wouldn't have a, a, a segment here. Um, fortunately, I do. I'm going to start. I'm going to mix it up this week. Let's talk Syracuse. No, let's not take. Let's not talk Syracuse yet. <laughs> um, let's talk NC State. So NC State obviously was the Thursday night game uh, last week, and they went down to Wake Forest. And you, you kind of knew, and we called it the third uh, the third episode right after we played Wake that we thought Wake Forest was a pretty good football team, and they were just waiting for their spot, and they finally got the the upset against NC State. Did you see look? It? They play well on Thursday nights. They do. Everyone knows it's, that. It's that simple. It was it's that it was simple. a hell of a game. They they. Uh, they had no business winning it, but they they drove down the field and NC State just stopped playing defense. And it calls into question everything we know about college football. Specifically, who who is the best who is the second best team in the ACC right now? It's kind of a hung jury at this point, Matt. I, I would agree with you that it's a hung jury. I mean, Syracuse would be the winner on paper. Uh, but again, I think if we play Syracuse, at least if Anthony Brown is healthy, if we play Syracuse uh, tomorrow, I think we're favored in that game. I, I listen, I'm with you. So, but you think about Syracuse, who they've lost to, and I'm glad you, you segued into Syracuse. You know, they, they, well, I knew you, I knew you weren't going to bring them up. So I had to, <laughs> I had to give it to you. So they lost to Clemson and then they lost in overtime to Pitt, right? Who's now like the best, uh, you know, the best coastal team. How wild is it that it's real life right now? It's 2018. And based on what we saw last year, Syracuse and Pitt were the two worst teams in the country almost. And, and they're respectively Pitt's likely going to win the Coastal now. And Q's has a legitimate shot to be, you know, second in the ACC. But I, I think you're right. I think, and, and we'll talk about, you know, Q's Notre Dame, right? I know you're a Notre Dame fan secretly, but let's, let's just get into it. That's, that's erroneous. I'm going to throw that out of the court, I've been by calling, the way. Objection. I, I'm objecting. I've been, I'm, that's an objection. Matt, can I just speak one time? Matt, I've been calling this game. I've had this circled on my calendar. Syracuse, Notre Dame. I think I've had it circled since like week one, pretty much. But you have Notre Dame's QB, uh, Ian Book, which is kind of a dumb name in my opinion. He's banged up. Um, Hughes puts up a billion points every single week. I don't think they've scored less than 50 in like months. And we've, we've said all year this Notre Dame squad is not the real deal. and They're due for an upset. So between all those factors, Matt, I got Hughes pulling off an upset. I don't even think it's going to be close. I think Dungy's going to absolutely turn it on. He's got to be a senior by now, right? Uh. Uh, he might he's, he's, he might still have like 50 years uh, left. Like, Q's, yeah, Q's, they just, I, I don't know, you, you lose track of time at Q's apparently. But he's got to be close to his senior year. And uh, if he if he's getting close to one of his last games in an in Orangeman uniform, those guys love Dungey. As much as we used to hate Dungey, and I don't hate him anymore because he's just so electric, he's going to he's gonna play his A game in Yankee Stadium. So you heard is it he, here is first. Is he a New York guy? Is, do you, is he a New York I guy? I don't know where he's from, Matt. I have no idea. Okay. Um, I wish because that's you know that's always a factor here. If you got a guy playing in you know his like hometown baseball team stadium, that's he kind of feels like a New York guy. I bet he's I he bet does. He's from I, I completely agree. Upstate New York somewhere, right? So you heard it here first. That's my official lock. Don't just bet Q's with the points. I think it's nine and a half. Take the money line Q's. Well, I actually like that. I think that so the crowd obviously Notre Dame travels well everywhere, and they it'll be like when they played at Fenway where it's their home game, so they're going to get the lion's share of the tickets, but. I mean, it's Cuse is huge in New York City. Uh, with I, th- I think that doesn't even need saying. They're going to show up very well now that they have a team to rally around. I could see that feeling like a a very even crowd, if not even a slight edge to Cuse, wouldn't shock me. So uh, I'm with you. I think that would be awesome to watch, and it would be good for you know it would be good for us honestly because it would make the game in two weeks even more exciting. Cuse would be in the top ten at that point. Uh, would have a lot on the line. Wouldn't quite be a full you know wouldn't uh, a, f- a full What's the word I'm looking for here? Yeah, I'm, I'm Googling where Dungey's from. He's actually from Oregon. Breaking news, breaking news okay. there. <laughs> so if they play in the Mariners Stadium, maybe there will be a little kick there. Right. Uh, this will be revenge is the word I was looking for. Thank you. Uh, a potential little revenge for the whole Diamond Ferry thing a couple years ago. Obviously, they're not you know having a chance to go to the ACC championship, but a top 10 Syracuse team coming into BC uh, in the last week of the year. Maybe we could you know avenge some of those demons. Yeah, agreed. Matt, that's really all I had for, for Duteous Corpus. I do just want to say Pitt's uniforms are electric, and when they're playing well, they're actually uh, pr- pretty cool to, to watch play in those unis. I remember I, I, you know, watching them last year, 
it was kind of like the only good thing they had going was how great their uniforms were. Their their throwbacks or, yeah, or their yeah, regular like ones. The, yeah, their throwbacks are nice. Whatever color that is, like the the powder blue and then the gold, it's 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 awesome. You got to see it. But anyway, I, I think we're probably running out of show here. So let's let's exit the courtroom unless there's anything else you wanted to say there, Matt. No, that's it. All right, court adjourned. Let's talk Florida State. Yeah, so I'll start with my fun facts here. Um, I'm going to stick on the Seminole Tribe for my fun facts. This is actually I like this one a lot. Uh, the Seminole tribe paved the way for Native American gambling as we know it today. Uh, so Mohegan Sun, Foxwoods, et cetera, all over the country, the uh, Indian reservations are where you know the gambling happens. Uh, so they started it with high stakes bingo on their reservations back in 1979. That led to a bunch of, speaking of duteous corpus, a bunch of court cases where basically, you know, U.S. versus a Seminole tribe of gambling, is this legal on your reservations, whatever, whatever. They won all of those and pretty much opened the doors for all of these other tribes to have legal gambling on their reservations. So there is no Mohegan Sun, there is no Foxwoods without uh, the Seminoles and high stakes bingo. Yeah, that's really, I never knew the origins of that. It's kind of just one of those things that's always been a thing. Um, so that is, that's fascinating. Glad you brought that up. Did you know that Florida State has a haunted fountain on campus? And many report, many uh, students report hearing strange noises late at night. Uh, it's called the Westcott Fountain. Um, did you know, Matt? In that same fountain, they also dunk people. Uh, it's tradition on your twenty-first birthday, they dunk you in the fountain. So I don't in, like that. I don't like messing fountain. with haunted stuff. I would no, not want to dunk in that. And then also, Jameis Winston stole a bunch of crab legs at one time. People don't talk about that enough anymore. I'm with you. Um, all right. So this could be a little contentious uh, or interesting, I guess I'll say it best. But again, because we played Florida State last year, we're not doing the top five notable alumni. We are going to do the top five notable Seminoles. Uh, let's hope that we keep this above board, Matt. But yeah, why don't sure, you give Matt. It a start? I'll go first. That sounds like a good segue to me here. Um, <laughs> my first Seminole here is going to be Chief Billy Bowlegs. He was a Seminole chief in the 1800s which feels a little late to be a, a Native American chief, frankly, in my opinion, Matt. The 1800s is like 100 years ago. Um, uh, per Wikipedia, did you know this, Matt? Billy Bowlegs loosely translates to alligator chief. Nice. Okay. I, I would have thought it was because he like walked funny. Yeah. I mean, check out the Wikipedia. That's literally what it said. So um, I don't necessarily know how that translation works either, but I didn't make it up. Well, you can't talk Seminoles without Billy Bowlegs, so I am glad you brought him up. Uh, The other big name on the Seminole tribe is Osceola. So he's not a chief, which is a common misconception. I think a lot of people think Chief Osceola. I did think he was a chief, yeah. Right, right, exactly. So you're the common misconception there, but he was a great leader. Uh, I would argue the most famous Seminole of all time. Phenomenal warrior. Uh, He was captured under a flag of truce, uh, but refused to sign a treaty to give up his people's land. So he was arrested uh, and died a year in prison later, which is, again, I think, obviously a pretty pretty bad job by uh, whoever was responsible there. So he became a huge symbol of freedom, rightly so, uh, and is now the name of the main FSU mascot, the guy that rides in on the horse, horse's name Renegade. That's actually really cool, and I hate Florida State, and I hate so much of what they, you know, their fans and everything, but uh, the guy riding in on the horse and stabbing the field with the uh, spear on spear on fire is an absolute 10 out of 10 college tradition. So I'm going to move on to my third overall pick here. So heart, the Hard Rock Cafe. So uh, the Seminole Tribe recently purchased the name, the Hard Rock Cafe, and the entire brand. Uh, and then they've since then uh, opened and rebranded a bunch of casinos under that name. So the Hard Rock Cafe and everything that comes with it uh, is owned by the Seminole Tribe. Matt, how about some current events there? Uh, it's a good segue into mine as well. I'm going to talk current events. We just had the election uh, in the foil here, Matt. I'm going to go with Elizabeth Warren, who is Harvard Law's first profession, professor of color um, and the current senator of Massachusetts. Um, great seminal there. And then Seminole, Oklahoma um, is a town in Oklahoma, obviously, has a population of about 5,000, um, which is a small town, but it has several notable alumni or people that grew up there, including the current president of the University of Oklahoma, as well as the founder or co-founder of the Sonic Drive-In restaurants. Oh, Sonic, I think, is underrated. I'll just say that. I don't know that I've ever been to one, but I... I been to one. Actually, let's cut that out. I'm just going to say, yeah, Sonic is Sonic is great, because I think people are going to freak <laughs> out if they find out that I haven't been to Sonic. You're the South Carolina guy. That's not very yeah, on-brand. I know. It's exactly. All right. So, with my last pick, I'm going to go with the uh, famous ship 
named Seminole. So she was one of the only two Clipper ships in the post-Civil War period to make a passage from an Atlantic port to San Francisco in less than 100 days. Uh, the Seminole arrived at San Fran from New York on March 10th, 1866, just a short 96 days after leaving New York. Uh, it was carrying a locomotive on the ship the whole time. So everyone knows I'm a big uh, transportation guy. I love trains, as we talked about earlier. I also love ships. So this one got me really excited. And uh, again, anytime you can you know, get from New York to San Fran in less than 100 days, you got to do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, pretty good list there, I'll tell you what. I did have one honorable mention here, Matt, and I'm going to go with Seabass, Sebastian Janikowski. Um, I know we, we like to stay away from athletes and all that, but um, just got to give him a shout out. W- one thing I learned about Sebastian— Matt, he's, I, think he's, I think he's Polish. Matt, so that's that's what I, exactly what I was going to say. Did you know that he was like a stud Polish soccer player growing up, and he was well on his way to like making the national team before he moved to America in soccer? Did you know that? Uh, I mean, I guess it makes sense. He's got a strong leg. Yeah, the Polish thing and the soccer national team, that was that's pretty cool. So, um, And also, everyone knows that in college, he used to be famous for kicking the, you know, doing the kickoffs through the uprights. And they used to set up like the field goal graphics on the kickoffs at Florida State. So he was just kind of a legend there. Got it. Okay. So just he's Polish, not a Seminole tribe member, but okay. No, but he went to Florida really... State. He's a Seminole. Yeah. No, but you didn't really follow the rules there because we did alumni last year. You but, say, okay. literally say every there's no rules. <laughs> Let's move to travelability ratings. Again, this is out of 30 uh, RVs, residential vehicles. So I'll go with mine first. So this is a 330 kick, which is, as we know, huge for the RV ratings. Uh, that's that's just a phenomenal time for a football game. Gorgeous day for football down in Tallahassee, mid-60s and sunny. Uh, not really the, the Boston weather we like in November, but... You know, Florida State is, is not good enough, as we'll get into right now, to really worry about you know their offense clicking at that speed. They stink, so the crowd will be out of it, and it probably won't be a great atmosphere on campus. But the positive to that is that it is a very winnable game. And when we go on the road to watch BC, we obviously want to see a winnable game. Uh, a lot of the buzz is gone from us after the last weekend because we could have been top 10 right now. But we are still top 25, and there's still a lot to be excited about and a lot to play for. Tallahassee is a city, which always helps because there's stuff to do outside of, uh, you know, just the tailgate, like if you went to some, you know, college in the middle of nowhere. So I'm going to go, it's a, it's a fine score, uh, 19.3. I think it's just, it's tough to really get excited to travel, uh, after all of the energy that went into last weekend and these, you know, let down, I guess, at the end of the night. What is the weather going to be, Matt? You had, Matt, I told you, you it's a gorgeous drive. day for football. It's, I told you, it's a gorgeous day for football in Tallahassee. It's the mid-60s and sunny. Just absolutely perfect. Sometimes I tune the weather part out, so I just want to make sure you, you covered it. Um, yep, so that's no, I got huge. you. Um, yeah, you, you hit the big ones. Uh, you know, we're officially obviously no longer in postseason contention. There's really nothing riding on this game. It would be kind of nice, and we'll talk about it, but FSU has a 37 bowl win game streak, uh, or bowl streak, bowl appearance streak, yep. I should say, yep. uh, riding on this win as well as their uh, the, they play uh, the Gators, I think, after us. So they got to win both of those. Um, Tallahassee as a whole just kind of sucks. Or really more the fans than anything just kind of suck. You have like a 50-50 shot of getting into a fight um, with an opposing fan down there. You mentioned the 330 kickoff. You know, it's one of the few things you and I agree on. That's that's the correct time to play a football game. And I'll tell you, after the, the freezing tailgate uh, this past weekend, Matt, the 60-degree uh, the weather doesn't sound that bad. So that overall, it sounds like a, a good road trip. Uh, it is just one that I don't see on my calendar, not this year, probably not any year unless it's a huge game. It's just there's so many other better places to go, in my opinion, than Tallahassee. Apologies to any Seminoles fans listening. Um, I have 13.4, which I know is low, but, you know, just just n- no postseason contentions just kind of sucks. There's, you know, there's really not all that much, you know, riding on this game. So for all those reasons, 13.4 is my official RV rating there. Yeah, I'll be honest. Like if you gave me free flights and a free hotel and uh, free tickets to the game, I still would not be excited to make that trip if you told me I had to take off you know, Friday morning after, again, after after the energy that we spent last weekend. Yeah, the players left all it all on I, the field. So did we, Matt. I'll tell right, you what. Right. People don't talk about that enough. Credit to us. So I'm, I'm excited to just, you know, get back and uh, wake up in my own bed and watch game day here and then saunter over to Dewey's and, you know, enjoy an afternoon in the city. So, yeah, I'm with you. Not a great score. Let's move into the preview. Matt, mine's going to be really quick and we're running out of show here. So that actually works out well. But look, FSU stinks. Um, that's that's my preview. They have a horrible O-line. Our defense should absolutely feast on them all night long. So they really shouldn't be able to score much regardless of what we do at offense and, and whether it's AB or EJ. Again, the word just to, to reiterate that came out today is that uh, AB should be fine. It's day to day. But 
Uh, even you know with Perry in, I think we'd be okay. It would be less exciting and probably a little bit more nerve wracking. But uh, again, Brown's going to practice on Wednesday. I don't know if we covered that earlier in the episode, so just good to get our injury plugs in there. But the only thing that that slightly concerns me here is two things. One, uh, Florida State has been getting slightly better over the course of the year as they've gelled a little bit, but a lot of their players have quit I think in in, in general uh, and then many of them might have a chip on their shoulder after last year's beatdown but like I said most of the team has just given up over the previous weeks I really don't think they're going to harken back to big loss last year when they had already checked out as well so for all of those reasons I, I really don't even see this being much of a game but my I guess big thing to watch for is the health of AB and making sure that we can get back on track for what will be a huge game two weeks from now. But don't look ahead because you got to take care of business ahead of you. Yeah, and, and we know what it's like to play a Florida State team that sort of already quit on the year. And like we said, they're, they're coming into this game four and six, and they're just they're not a good football team. Their only wins are, are Sanford, Northern Illinois, horrible Louisville team, and then they snuck by Wake, right? There are a couple things that could make it interesting. I talked about the 37-year the bowl streak that I couldn't believe was still intact after their showing last year, but apparently they, they did sneak into a bowl. Yeah, they rescheduled like some, uh, I think it was like UL Lafayette or something okay, in like so week it's a, it's 14 to sneak in. Yeah, right. Got it. Okay. Uh, but that said, Taggart might be a good coach. Jerry's, I guess, still out on him. Um, but he's des- he's desperate for a statement win, and that's what we are this year. We're, we're ranked, obviously. Uh, I think if they're going to show up for one game, it could be this one. Uh, did you know they're actually breaking out new jerseys for, for this one? They're doing uh, black jerseys with the Garnett pants, um, which seems like odd timing for kind of a lost season here. But with that all said, I think you're right. It's, it's a new regime from last year. I don't think they're going to really care that much about you know getting blown out by us last year. Um, like you said, I think they've quit. Uh, talking about the Eagles, uh, in our last five games following a loss, Matt, the Eagles have averaged 44.5 points per game. I'm going to have to double check. That seems like a lot of points. But that's uh, that's a real stat that I looked up. Uh, Florida State gave up 365 rushing yards to Notre Dame last week. I, I just think this offense has a real opportunity to get back on track here. If Brown can't go, I, do, do we run the Wildcat with Jeff Smith? We know these guys can't. We talked about that. We were talking about that in the stadium on Saturday yeah. night. I would have been okay with it at a certain I point. A tweet. We, again, weren't getting anything. But. I sent a tweet kind of joking against uh, when AB didn't show up against Vatak in the first half. Like, yeah. We know that can work. We know we got a good running game. We throw Jeff Smith back there. He's a threat to throw. And, you know, you see what happens. Right. But but like you said, you know, their their offensive line is absolutely horrible. Um, they gave up five sacks and 10 tackles for a loss against NC State, which we're better than defensively. Um, Sack Brothers should have a huge day. And uh, that's really my analysis. It, it, it's it's really it, you know, it's it should be an easy win for the boys. And, uh, you know, we'll get the momentum back from last week and, and we'll go into Syracuse, you know, with a big W. I'll give you my official prediction here. Eagles 42, Seminoles 14. Yeah, and I'm right on the same page there too. Again, it's all about getting back to basics. Look, last week was a, like we've said many times now, kind of a house money game. We lost. That's okay. We got to move on. We still have a very great opportunity here to get to 10 wins overall with the bowl. So get back to basics. Let's get everyone healthy. Let's play our game. We're a bigger, better, more physical team than Florida State. Let's take it to them. Let's not try to do anything crazy or out of the element here to you know go too conservative or whatever it might be. Uh, and let's get back in the win column comfortably. I'm going 35-13, so pretty much right on the right on the same uh, wavelength as you. But yeah, this this one should not be uh, scary at all. And, and, and we should be know, able. I think to, uh, the main thing to watch for is is AB's health. That's kind of it for and me. And we should be able to do it. You know, if AB is not close to 100, let's sit him. Right? Let's sit him for Syracuse or even wait till the ball. I don't care. Perry and and even Levy. Right? If Dylan's not 100. percent you know, maybe don't force them in there either. It's Florida State. I I, I agree best with you case, on Dylan. I don't think I agree. I don't think I agree on the QB position, but I agree on Dylan. Well, best case, what? I mean, I'm not saying it, it kind of sucks, but you know, we're out of postseason contention. But I, I'm not saying the whole season's lost. But there's no sense in sacrificing the future of these guys. You know, we should have a big year next year, right? You don't want to make an injury. And it, it, Brown's, you know, it's probably a, a bruised rib, right? At this point, he's day to day. I'm well connected to the medical uh, industry here, so um, that's my official take, uh, MD. But seriously, you know, you don't want to force him back and, and lose him and, and, you know, damage it worse, and especially with Dylan. You know, that's an ankle thing that's going to be hanging around forever. We should be able to do it with Levy and Bailey, but don't don't force them back in there if they're not ready. Yeah, no, I, I'm completely with you. But yeah, I think that wraps up another great week here. Should be a good Saturday. Get back in the win column. So thanks again for listening. Uh, certainly was a phenomenal day on Saturday and an overall deflating end. But all we can do now is is look ahead. We have win number eight on the horizon and uh, a couple of huge ones left to go. 
As always, follow us on Twitter and Insta at Fourth and Dude, and follow our friends at BC Twenty Four Seven at Eagle Insiders. I'm sure, they'll uh, hopefully give any you know updates to the AB side of things, but they're always giving you some great BC news really throughout the week. Uh, certainly had a phenomenal week leading up to game day, and expect more of the same throughout the rest of the year. Matt, the road to Charlotte and the road to Santa Clara is officially dead, which you know honestly really sucks to say. But look, the road to ten and three is still full speed ahead for the Birds. All we can do now is is go out there and take the opportunities in front of us. It's always a great day to be a dude.